God is good and all the time. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you do not know I am, I am John and I'm blessed to serve as a pastor here. And if I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, my wife Joy and I will be right in the foyer as soon as church is dismissed and we would love to have an opportunity uh, to meet you. I want to encourage you to find your way to Jonah, the book of Jonah. We are in our fourth week of the series entitled Risk, uh, Dare to Embrace the Heart of God. And as we think about the story of Jonah, the words we just sang there really resonate with me personally, but also I think resonate maybe with the prophet Jonah. Prone to, what's the next word? Wonder. How many of you are prone to wonder? Okay, and the reality is none of us drift towards holiness. None of, us, none of us are just naturally pursuing God. If we do not make a decision, we don't make a decision to actually pursue Christ, to work on a relationship with Christ, to grow, and as we have said, to know and embrace the heart of God, it, it doesn't come natural. We have a tendency, our human nature, uh, our... Uh, really just to pursue our own, our own desires and to do our own thing. And we see that in the life of Jonah. And unfortunately, I think oftentimes I see that in my own life. And maybe you haven't had the chance to be with us the last few weeks in this series. So let me just give you a couple points that would kind of catch you up, all right? So if you uh, have uh, your phone, you don't want to take notes, or if you're taking notes on the Version Bible app, these, these will be on there, they'll be on the screen. But week one, really we kind of made two statements, and that is <clears throat> that God is sovereign, okay? That's a, the theological term, but it just means God's in control, okay? God is sovereign. But we also see that not only is God sovereign, but God is merciful. Aren't you glad God is merciful? And he's missional, that he came to us. Not only is uh, God sovereign, merciful, and missional, but week two, when we looked at the storm that Jonah uh, was a part of, really was uh, the reason for this storm, that storms are controlled by God. Again, that's pointing to the sovereignty of God. One of the things we see in the book of Jonah very clearly is that God is over all things, that God is in control. So storms are controlled by God. Storms reveal our hearts. So we had one storm, but we had two different responses to the storm. The pagan sailors, remember, repent, and they cry out to God. Jonah does not, okay? And so storms reveal our hurt. They have an opportunity for us to reveal, do we know and are we embracing the heart of God? The third thing we looked at in week two was storms offer an opportunity, right, to know and embrace God's heart. All right, week three, this was last week, and we said this, that God saves and God sends. So what you have to understand as a follower of Christ, the moment you gave your life to Christ, God put you on mission. Like your goal now is, as we often say, the gospel came to you on the way to someone else to share your story. And then we looked at the spirit of Jonah, that oftentimes, if we're going to be transparent and honest, if you're going to be transparent and honest, you probably would admit that sometimes... Maybe, just possibly, in your life you have the spirit of Jonah. In other words, you rejoice in the God who saved you, but not so much in the God who 
has sent you. Jonah was thankful that God was missional and merciful to him. Jonah just didn't think those people deserved the same mercy and grace that he had received. And, and so last week, we kind of finished up with uh, this little piece of paper, right? The fish. And some of you filled that out. If you didn't get one last week, there's some on the connection centers at the back. There's actually some here on the two front pews this morning. But what I challenge you to do was just write down, if only you had only one name, someone that you know that doesn't know Jesus, that you're going to be been, begin praying for them, seeking after them, pursuing conversations with them, and just praying. And, and if you didn't have a name, that, that maybe you would begin just, maybe you needed to put on the fish last week, God, send someone to me that doesn't know Jesus. Help me to have an outward focus. Help me to think about people who are far from, from you. And so uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, but what I want to start out by doing is showing you how similar the first two verses of Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3 are. They sound a lot alike, all right? So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now look at chapter 3, the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and you might underline this next part, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And, and here's what we realized this morning. God is a God of second chances. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad that God is a God of second chances. Now, I, I, I told you last week when we pointed out verse 17 of, John, of Jonah chapter 1. Remember when uh, they had just thrown Jonah overboard and it says in uh, chapter 1 verse 17, God had prepared a fish and the fish came and swallowed Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the truth is, if I was God, and I'm not, and you're probably glad for that, but if I was God, I'm not even sure I would have sent a fish to save Jonah. Because Jonah had already revealed his heart. Jonah had already went 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. Remember why he was going the wrong direction. He said, I'm fleeing the presence of God. I don't want to listen to God. I know the heart of God. I know he's merciful and missional, but I'm not going to embrace the heart of God. I'm going in the opposite direction. Then when he gets on the boat and the storm happens, remember he goes down and he falls asleep because he, he doesn't care about the sailors up top. And they're about to die. They finally wake him up and said, cry out to your God. And you know what Jonah could have done in that moment to stop the storm? I believe if Jonah would have repented on the boat, the storm would have stopped. We'd have never had a fish story. But Jonah, the hardness of his heart and his rebellion and stubborn. I don't even know what that's like to be stubborn. I've never been stubborn in my life. I, I don't understand that. I can't comprehend. Stubborn. And they make him... He makes the sailors throw him overboard. He could have jumped, right? But no, he, he puts the responsibility on these, these sailors. And honestly, if, if I were God, when they threw him overboard, I'd have said, good riddance, right? I'll get someone else to go to Nineveh. 
but he sent the fish. And God, again, shows that he's merciful and he's missional. And it seems like, I don't know exactly, but it seems like from verse 17 of chapter 1 to verse 1 of chapter 2, verse 17 said he was in the fish for three days and three nights. And, and in verse number 1 of chapter 2, it says, then Jonah prayed. Like it seems like his stubbornness lasted for three days in the fish. Now that's stubborn, isn't it? How many of you would say you're probably as stubborn as Jonah? Okay. How many of you raised kids that are as stubborn as Jonah? Okay. The truth is, if you raise kids like that, they got it from somewhere. And a lot more you raise your... Anyways. I, I, I was stubborn. Does that surprise you guys? In case you don't know, that was my dad, amen. And about time he's awake in church, so that's good. I was stubborn. Was. I'm over it. Right, Joy? I'm not over it. God, God gave him a second chance. And I'm thankful for that. Again, you, you might want to underline, you might want to highlight verse, verse 1 of, of chapter 3. Remember how we ended? Remember how chapter 2, verse 10 ended? God spoke to the fish and told the fish to do what? What's the word we weren't supposed to say in church? Vomit. Vomited Jonah out. And that's where we left last week. That's the story. And then all of a sudden, God appears again and says, again, the word of the Lord came a second time. Are you thankful for second chances? How many of you need more than just two chances? Like, you need a bunch of chances, right? Me, me too. You know the Bible is filled with, with those kind of stories, second chances? Aaron, the brother of Moses, remember they had just crossed the Red Sea, the greatest miracle. All of the Egyptian army has been destroyed, and just like a few days later, what is Aaron doing? He's melting all the gold that they took from, that God provided for them from the Egyptians, and they make a golden calf, and then they worship the golden calf, and actually say, worship this golden calf who delivered you out of Egypt. Did Aaron need a second chance? I'm glad he got one. Abraham went to a foreign country, was scared that they were going to take his wife from him, so he tells the king, it's my sister, and gives his sister to the king. Like he, for lack of a better way of saying this, he pimped out his wife. He needs not only a second chance from God, but from his wife, right? Here's the crazy thing. He did that twice. But where do, where do we read about Abraham now? He's in Hebrews chapter 11. He's like one of the heroes of the faith. Thank God he got a second chance. Samson, the scripture says he did more in his death than he did in his life. God gave him a second chance to redeem himself. King David was an adulterer, was afraid he was going to be found out for his adultery. So what did he do next? Murder. Yet God said he was a man after his own heart. Peter saw the miracles of Jesus. Peter actually walked on water. 
And what did Peter do? Denied Christ three times at the most crucial point of Christ's life. Some 50 days later, though, we see Peter preaching and 3,000 people giving their life to Jesus. John Mark abandoned Paul on a missionary journey. He got a second chance, and he's the author of the book, The Gospel of Mark. So God is a God of second chances. Can you say amen to that? Because the truth is, I've, I've needed a few second chances. And probably... I'm going to need some more, right? Jonah chapter 3. Let's just read the entire chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. He cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be over." Throne. This seems to be like just a really short message, right? We have eight English words. Now, I think I think the Cowboys play at noon today. Is that right? How many of you would love to show up on a Sunday and me to give an eight-word message and be done? Would that be good? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Here's the truth. If you responded like the people did, we could get by with eight words. But you're all stubborn people. All right. That's definitely not my notes, but I think the Holy Spirit directed that. So, verse 5. So, the people of Nineveh, what's the next word? Believed. Not, it doesn't say they believe Jonah, does it? Again, the story is not about Jonah, it's not about a fish. The story is about who? A God who saves, a God who sends, a God who gives second chances. And they believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Pretty amazing that this great city, you know, in, in chapter 4 we'll read that there's 120,000. Most would say that that's just the men that they're counting. So upwards from 500,000 to a million people that live in this city. Like roughly we could say the size of Fort Worth, Texas. And Jonah gives this apparently eight-word message. And the entire city begins to repent and mourn sitting in sackcloth and There's such a change and transformation in the city that the king takes notice. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, verse 6. He arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? Turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10. Then God saw their works. That they, what's the word there? Turned. 
repent. They turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he said he would do, that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What an amazing story. In fact, I wish the book of Jonah ended right there. Because it takes another turn next week. All right, so come back next week and see. Again, I just wish the story ended. One of the proofs, I think, of Scripture is the the honesty of Scripture. Because Jonah is supposed to be the faithful prophet of God, but it's not whitewashed in here, is it? Like, we, we see the heart of Jonah in this, and it doesn't align with God. And you'll see that, well, we've already looked at it, right? Verse 2, chapter 4, we, we've seen the heart of Jonah. So I wish the story ended here because it's so simple. Jonah finally gets a second chance. And understand, a second chance is simply that. It's another chance. Like, he has a chance again to obey or disobey. He goes and gives this short, seemingly short message And I wonder, because of the heart of Jonah, again, I don't believe he ever repented in the belly of the fish. Some do. That's okay. We can disagree. But I believe the heart of Jonah is so against God rescuing the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian people who are cruel, brutal, terrible people, that I get the impression that as he walks through the city, it's kind of casual calloused like hey you got 40 days good luck I, I that's the way I see Jonah doing it now it, it's not really clear in here we, we get eight words but based on what I think of Jonah I think it's just walking through the city yeah good luck 40 days and hell's coming right judgment is coming I think that he is not really that interested in the people repenting and I don't think he gives them much information I'm going to be obedient, but to the least amount of possible. Judgment's coming, you got 40 days. That's pretty much all he says. But they, they respond. There's this huge revival, and the entire city responds, and they, they sit in sackcloth, which is just a sign of humility, a sign of humbleness, a sign of, of God, I repent. Forgive me. And it comes to the king, and the king then which this is really kind of strange. Did you notice what it says in here? Let neither man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat, drink or water. Like, he's not only calling it for a fast of the people, he's calling for a fast from all the animals. And then he tells them to put sackcloth on the animals. I think there's two types of people in the room this morning. People who put clothes on your dogs and normal people. No, it's good. I just had to say that. Can you imagine, though, trying to put a burlap sack on all the sheep and the cows? Oh, and by the way, you don't get to eat today. I mean, it fits in their culture because that's, they, they would say that the animals would have to repent too, but this is amazing. Jonah walks through the city and says, repent, and they actually do it. They respond, and the city responds so greatly, the king gets involved, and the king makes a decree. It's interesting, his decree, 
Look in verse number 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mildly to God. Yes, let everyone, you might underline or circle or highlight that word, turn. Simply meaning to repent. Turn from his evil and really turn towards God. And he asks the question, who can tell if God will return and relent? Will God forgive us if we repent? I don't know. But we've got to try it. That's what the king is saying. Let's, let's, let's try it. Let's repent. We've been called to repentance. Let's repent. So, I want to point out three things this morning just for application as we look at this story. Number one, if you're taking notes, God's word always demands a response. God's word demands a response. Again, as we, we spent the last month talking about the core values of Hallmark, I mean, the, the basic foundation value of Hallmark is really where all the other ones rest on. That we will be a biblically driven church. Because if God's word says it, we should do it. God's word demands a response. The word of the Lord came, verse 1, to Jonah, and Jonah's response was, not good. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again in chapter 3, and his response was, at least he went in the right direction this time. God's word demands a response. Remember what we said last week about Jonah, though? I believe he was obedient, but still obstinate. Right? He, he, he like, did the bare minimum. Well, let's think about this way. James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's an interesting, you, you can see it on the screen here. What's the last two words there? So just, hmm. do, do you think it's possible for people to come to a church service every Sunday and be a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word? and be living in their own self-deception? Just shake your head, okay? Whether you really agree or not, that's true. That could, be, that could be happening, that could be happening in this room. It could be you. It could be me. Remember the words of David? Search my heart, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. The number one rule in life, don't fool yourself, and yet you're the easiest person to fool. So the potential this morning is that you are sitting here in this room and you actually have the spirit of Jonah and don't know it. That you are deceiving yourself, that you are a hearer of the word, you know God, you know his heart, but you've chosen not to embrace it. God's word demands a response. Can you say amen to that? Whether you agree or not. Number two, 
God's word always demands a proper response. Because we've seen good response and bad response in Jonah, haven't we? In the book of Jonah. Even what kind of blows your mind is in the sailors who are pagans, who worship all kinds of little g gods. Remember, they were crying out to their gods to save. They finally wake up Jonah and said, maybe it's your God. And remember what Jonah said? Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God, the one who created the land and the sea. And they're like, well, you're an idiot because you might want to cry out to him. We're about to die if your God, in fact, created the land and the sea. When they threw him overboard, what happens? The storm stops, and immediately, you know what the sailors realize? Jonah's God did create the land and the sea. And what was their response? Worship. They took vows. He is the creator God. They had a proper response, yet Jonah still unrepented into the sea, gets swallowed by the belly, and it seems like for three days he still stays a little bit rebellious. And I believe the only reason that Jonah went once the fish threw him up on the, the side onto the dry land was because that experience was so bad, he's not doing that again. Fine, I'll go. And as we said, he was obedient, but he was obstinate. Or another way to say that was he was religious, but he was rebellious. In other words, we could do the right thing with the wrong attitude. Would you agree to that? Remember the trash story last week. And somebody messaged me last week and said they were going to ask my wife if I willingly take the trash out now. So this week I did. But anyways, listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah. These people draw near with me with their mouths. And they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. Isaiah 29, 13. Remember when Samuel went to anoint the next king after Saul was like messed up? Samuel's like, it's got to be that guy. And remember what, what God said? No, 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 no. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Last year, we, we spent quite a bit of time on the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, the kind of summary statement of the Sermon on the Mount was that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. God's word demands a proper response. And these people of Nineveh reveal to us what's the proper response. In verse number 5, we, we just read that. Jonah tells them this short little message, and then in verse 5 it says, So the people, what was the word? Believed God. Humble faith. God's word demands a proper response, and the proper response is, I'm going to believe what God said. And when we believe what God says and we have humble faith, I mean, they're sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It's just a symbol of mourning. It's a symbol of repentance. It's a symbol of, I mean, think of this as the king who's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He is publicly humbling himself to say, I believe. And humble faith always leads to humble repentance. In verse number six, it says, they turn 
And they said again, and they turned. In verse number 10, look at the response here. Then God saw their works that they, what's the word? Turned. They repented. Humble faith leads to humble repentance. God's word demands a proper response. And this morning, it's time for you to check your own heart. Again, we kind of reluctantly agreed that we could, we could have the right habits, but not the right heart. You, you see, the Sermon on the Mount would, would say, God, Jesus would say to us, I'm more interested in your heart than your habits. Number three, your response to God's, his word, his commands determines your direction. So it says in verse number eight, the king says, let everyone turn, turn from his evil way and from his violence. Again, the, the understanding here is that they're turning from something and turning towards something. They're turning from their sin and their self, and they're turning to God. This is a picture of salvation, because that's all salvation is. Salvation is understanding that I can't get to God on my own, and that I am born an enemy of God. I am, as we read last week in Ephesians, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. There's nothing I can, get, there's nothing I can do to get to God. The only way for me to get to God is because I was born going in the wrong direction. The only way I can get to God is to turn. Turn from my sin and myself and turn back to God and, and repent. God, I surrender to you. I admit Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. I admit that there's no way I can get to God except through Jesus. And they turned. And the question here they ask is kind of an important question. What did the king say? Let's turn from our evil ways. Let's turn towards God. And the question was, let's see, maybe, possibly, God will forgive us. Here, here's the great news this morning. You don't have to wonder if God's going to forgive you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, whoever confesses, their sins. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and remove you all the unrighteousness from you. That's how God proved his love. God demonstrated, Romans 5, 8, his love toward you, that even in your sins, even when you were dead, as Paul said in Ephesians, Christ died for you. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter why you came in this room this morning, what you need to know is that if you will cry out to God and you will call to God and repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus, He will forgive you. It's not a maybe, it's not a possibility. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's take that a step farther because I would say probably, I'm hoping at least, the majority of you in the room this morning, you've already made that decision. You've given your life to Christ. But maybe this morning God has revealed to you that he doesn't have your heart. 
And it's time for you to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm humbly repenting that I'm walking in my own direction. In our, in our Bible reading this week, we read Isaiah chapter 30. It made me think of a quote. I remember reading it in the book, Good to Great in God's Eyes by Chip Ingram, but I'm, well, I know he was quoting someone else. I just can't remember who that was. A.W. Tozer is who I believe he was quoting. He basically said this, how you see God sees you is the most important thing about you. Let's, let's unpack that for a minute because some of you see God as this angry judge who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. And some of you view God as this angry dad who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can get, you know, the belt off. And that, that motion right there, that brings some PTSD, I'll be honest with you. When me, never mind, I'm not going to tell you that. All right, focus. Isaiah 30, verse 18. We see the heart of God. So this morning, whether you've never given your life to Christ or not, whether you are someone that has given your life to Christ and maybe your heart is not where it needs to be, this verse applies to you. This is how you need to see God. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. God is, listen, if you're running in the wrong direction, God's not mad at you. He's waiting so he can be gracious to you. Last Sunday, I was standing in the atrium and I saw this little almost two-year-old kid running from their mom and dad. I kind of had a flashback to, you know, 20-something years ago when my kids would do that. And you remember as a parent, like, if you started running after them, what were they going to do? Going faster, right? Because they're scared of you. You mean mom and dad. No, they, they, it's just normal, right? It's just normal. And I think sometimes we view God that way. What are they, what, what's he going to keep me from? I'm wanting to go this way. And you, you remember as a parent, you kind of slowed down and even backed up a little bit. And, you know, all of you said, okay, I'm, I'm leaving. We're leaving without you, right? And if your kid was like me, he said, fine, get out. I'm done. Party, right? Some kids it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And the people of Nineveh Believed God, humble faith, and repented. And that's the message for us today, isn't it? God is good, and he's faithful, and he's merciful, and he's missional. And he's just waiting 
for you to turn around, say, I'm sorry, and he'll give you another chance. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Could, could you just close your eyes for a moment this morning? It's, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And, and as we prepare to end the service in worship, I want to just challenge you this morning. Do you need to turn around? Do you need to turn back to God? Do you need to cry out to Him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins? You can do that right now. Humble faith leads to humble repentance. I pray that today as you, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what struggles or storms or why you're walking away or if you're walking away from God. But my challenge to you today is is pretty simple. Turn around. The God who loves you, God who's merciful, long-suffering, slow to anger, not willing that any should perish. He's waiting for you. He's patiently waiting. Why? So he can extend his mercy and grace to you. You're missing out on God's grace and mercy if you don't turn around. In a moment, we're going to stand. It's, just a, it's, it's, it's really a time for you to respond. Maybe, maybe the response is just to sing and worship. God, thank you. Maybe it's to come to the altar and pray. Maybe it's to stay seated at your seat and just pray there. But, but if God is calling you to repentance,